Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with them to the book of Psalms, Psalm 90. And then I will also be in Ephesians. Ephesians. (laughs) Oh boy, I just can't do it. Ephesians chapter 5. Psalm 90. Well, Psalm 37 verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Last week I ended my sermon asking you the question, how will you decide to live your present life? Will you redeem the time and engage in the ministry God has for you and let your waiting mature you? Or will you choose to live in limbo, allowing for the thing that your heart's desire and the thing that you're waiting for will cause you to long for it in such a way that you're stuck, stalled, motionless while you wait? That was a question I asked every one of us last week. John Piper tells a story of when he was a boy, his dad, who was an evangelist, told him a story about a man who came to believe in Jesus at an old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant. Well, Piper's father was scheduled to preach, and this man showed up to listen. And at the end of the service, during a hymn, To everyone's amazement, this man came up, and he took his father's hand. They sat down together on the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed, and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He gained eternal life that day, but that did not stop him from sobbing. The man wept bitterly. And why? Well, these were the words that rang from his voice as he wept. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. This story impacted Piper more than all the stories that his father told him. The story of an old man weeping because he had wasted his life. The question I have for us is, what will enable us to live for today? What will keep us from living a wasted life? Well, like this man, the children of Israel are experiencing a similar level of regret in the history where we find themselves, find them at this time. The regret over a wasted life. You see, God had delivered Israel from the clutches of Pharaoh, and they were on their way to the promised land. Yet at the first opportunity to make their lives count, Israel wasted it. They wanted Egypt to be their dwelling place once again. So God gave them instead 40 years of wandering. And at the end of those 40 years, They died in a desert, a wasted life. In the context of our passage now, we find Moses 
at year 38 of 40. And Moses is reflecting on the past. He's reflecting on what could have been. And he writes a prayer, a psalm, Psalm 90. Most of the people whom God had led out of Egypt at this time of writing are now dead. And now Moses is reminiscing on how he and the people could have avoided a wasted life so that the next generation to come might not make the same mistake. Well, in many ways, you and I, we are that next generation. And so let us learn from Moses that we might live for today and not a wasted life. When I, in Psalm 90 and verse 12, Moses says, so teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Notice at the beginning of verse 12, the word so. That is telling us here that at this point in the psalm, Moses is now coming to some conclusion. And what is the conclusion? Teach us to number our days. Live for today. Sit down, number, examine, give proper weight to each day is the wisdom that Moses has to offer after 38 years of wandering in a desert. So the question is, is how did he come to this conclusion? How did he come to the fact that he, he wants to encourage us to live for today? Well, we can see that in verses 1 through 11. And in those verses, I want us to see first two realities that will drive you to live your days for what matters most. And then in Ephesians, we will see why we ought to live out our days as if they are indeed numbered. The first reality we see begins in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The first reality that will drive us to step into the wisdom of Moses in verse 12, namely to number our days, is to see the value of who we have in Christ as our home. Notice he says in verse 1, you have been our dwelling place. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Inner Ring, it's an essay, and he uses a term to describe a place where many of us long to be. We all want to know that each one of us belongs, that we have a dwelling place, that there is a circle in which we can know that we are safe, that we are loved not for what we do, but who we are. That no matter how far short we fall, there's a place that we all want to be that we can know we're loved. 
C.S. Lewis calls this the inner ring. And I believe that in every one of our hearts, there are certain periods in our lives, from infancy to extreme age, that one of the most dominant elements and the desires in our heart is to be on the inside. And this is an analogy I talked about with the play Hamilton. How many of you guys saw the play Hamilton? Enjoy that play. Well, this is certainly true of wanting to be known and seen and loved with respect to Aaron Burr. You see, most of his time in the play is spent watching Hamilton and resenting Hamilton's upward progression. Though Hamilton has no family connections and and no natural reason to succeed, he doesn't shy away from continuing to ask for advancement. And he does indeed do just that. You see Hamilton continuing to climb, and eventually it gets him to the place where he is right next to George Washington as his right-hand man. And Aaron Burr just can't understand how Hamilton's lack of of discretion leads to this non-stop success to where he finally gets in the inner ring, and Aaron Burr just can't get there. You see, Burr longs for the inner ring. He longs for the room where it happens, the room where it happens, the room where it happens. And in a rowdy, brassy showstopper, he expresses his desire to be in the room. And in this case, between Hamilton, James Madison, and Thomas Jefferson. But as usual, Burr is excluded. He can't get into the room where it happens. And he looks at Hamilton and he tells him, you've kept me from the room where it happens for the last time. And this is toward the end of the play. And the exchange closes with an agreement to duel. We hawking, dawn, guns drawn. You see, we all want to be in the dwelling place. And for Israel, God was not enough of a dwelling place for them. They didn't gain the kind of acceptance, the belonging, the the place being at the right hand that they longed for because God wasn't showing up in the ways that they wanted him to. And so instead, they wanted to go back to the room of Egypt. You see, we all have a room, do we not? If I get into the room of getting that spouse, then I'll feel like I matter, like I'm loved. If I get in the room of a better job, if I get in the room of of divorce because I can't stand this relationship, if I get in the room of recognition, then finally I'll know that I matter. If I get in the room of, of greater health or healing, then I will be in the place where I know that I'm loved. If, if I get in the room of financial stability, then I can find the room of security that my heart is constantly longing for. If I get in the room of accomplishment, if I get in the room of parental success, if I can just get in the room where it happens. So we use our today. We use living for today to chase a home outside of God 
that in the end, we all know and we've experienced it, it still leaves us wanting. No matter what room that we've stepped into, no matter what room that we think is going to ultimately get us that, that desire, that fulfillment, that dwelling place, it always leaves us wanting. But yet we still use our todays to chase rooms that won't fill us. And this is where our daily striving is. This is where for many of us our discontent remains. This is where the grumble rises from, is because we need to find that dwelling place. If I can get this, then I'll be at home. And it's just not true. You see, Jesus Christ knew this is inside every human heart. And this is why he says in John, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. When Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father... For those of us who are in our Christ Jesus, he made us a place in the room where it happens. Later in John chapter 15, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Make your home abide in my love. Make my love your dwelling place. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Full. Making your home in my love is going to get you the fullness of joy that you're longing for, and there's no other room that can do it. All the other rooms that you're chasing are going to keep you wanting. And Jesus here is saying, make me your dwelling place. And this is why I believe Paul tells us to pray this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Strengthen us with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may what? Dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in the dwelling place of his what love you may know the strength that you would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth length height and depth and to know the love of God that surpasses that you may be filled with the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power that's working within us all of that language is dwelling language it's all the spirit dwelling in you. It's God in his fullness dwelling in you. It's as you dwell in the fact that I love you so much and there's no other room where you can find the kind of love that your heart is longing for but in me. And if you put your roots there in the fact that I love you, even though it doesn't look like I'm loving you, I'm loving you far greater than you can imagine. And if you can just stay there, then you will be in the room where it happens and find all that you're longing for in that room.
You see, Israel didn't realize. Listen, Israel, and this is what's interesting about verse 1. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Well, wait a minute. I thought the dwelling place was the promised land. Moses is saying this before they even got to the promised land because they didn't. Here's the reality. Israel had already gained what their heart was longing for long before they even got to the promised land. The room wasn't the promised land. The room was the God that showed up at their doorstep when Moses said, let my people go. He was their dwelling place. But they kept looking for another room where it would happen. And as a result, they lived a wasted life. You see, when this lands, when this lands, and this is where you have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to cause these realities to land. I know you know them here, but if you're living for another room that happens, then it hasn't hit here. If you're discontent in the rooms, you're discontent in the room of God and you want to be in another room, then that means what's here hasn't it here. And the Holy Spirit has to translate those things. And so that's where you have to ask God, God, will you take what's here and bury it down here? Because I can't do it in my own strength. Because here's the reality. When that reality lands that you already have in Jesus, the dwelling place that your heart longs for, then you will live your days from a place that has already found a home in him. And thus, striving ceases. And thus, you live your days at rest in the pursuit of what really matters because you've already gained what your heart longs for. There's no more chasing. So then you can live verse 12 chapter nine, uh, of, of, of chapter uh, of Psalm 90. You can number your days. You can walk in wisdom because I've already arrived. And so then you won't live a wasted life. See, some of us are wasting lives choosing to chase rooms that ultimately will find us wanting, wandering around in a desert like Israel. The second reality that will drive you to live for today is seen in verse 5. Moses says, you sweep them away as with a flood. They, meaning humanity, are like a dream. Humans are like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. And by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. The second reality that will drive us to verse 12, number our days, is the reality that life is shorter than we admit. 
And we are briefer than we like to acknowledge. Your life is grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. Steve Jobs began to number his days when he came down with cancer. But he missed something. Walter Isaacson wrote a biography of the life of Steve Jobs. In an interview, Isaacson commented on the effect of Jobs' cancer on his life focus. He talked a lot about what happened when he got sick and how it focused him, Isaacson said. He said he no longer wanted to go out. Steve Jobs no longer wanted to travel the world. He would focus on the products. He knew the couple of things that he wanted to do, which was the iPhone and the iPad. What we see here is Steve Jobs came to grips with the brevity of life, but he still wasted his cancer because he failed to pursue the land that was truly flowing with milk and honey. You see, Steve Jobs was a Buddhist. And had he understood that in God's presence is fullness of joy, we may not have an iPhone or an iPad today, but Steve Jobs would be in the presence of the I am. But he's not. But what you see in his story is the power of what verses 5 through 10 can do for a life. When the brevity of life lands, you order your life by what matters most. When it landed for Steve Jobs, no one had to convince him or cajole him to stop going on vacations. No one had to convince him that purchasing that next thing was going to ultimately be worth his while. All of the accoutrements of of what life could offer in light of the reality that death was staring at him meant absolutely nothing. The brevity had caught up to him and now he had refocused. You see, what Psalm 90 is telling us is that our lives are indeed a vapor. Moses had only wished Israel would have seen these things. You see, when God is your home and the brevity of your life is ever before you, you will number your days and live in accordance with that reality. You will, verse 12, gain or get a heart of wisdom. You see, what does wisdom say? Wisdom says live for what eternity brings. That's wisdom. Wisdom says invest your life in what eternity brings. Would we agree that Jesus was the smartest man ever to walk this earth? But what did the smartest man, the wisest man to ever walk this earth have to say? Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, and where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures 
in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust can destroy, and where neither, whether, neither excuse me, thieves can break in and steal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Fear him who not only can destroy the body, but also the soul and cast it to hell for all eternity. Live for that. Fear that. That's wise living. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of a man. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and does not live rich toward God. God calls this man a fool. Why? Because he acquired all of these possessions. He got into the room where it happened. And then he wasn't able to benefit from it any of it and he could take none of it with him into eternity and yet that was what he lived for and so not only did he lose life on earth and all of the goods that he had acquired he lost eternity in heaven with the heavenly father this is what God calls a fool this is a man who wasted his life. This is a man who did not number his days. The iPhone matters nothing to Steve Jobs right now. The iPhone matters nothing to Steve Jobs right now. And I can probably guarantee, do you know what Steve Jobs is saying? Not, oh, how accomplished I was on earth. But he is gnashing his teeth right now as I speak, saying, I wasted it. I wasted it. And now he has an eternal regret, full of torment in hell beyond comprehension because he wasted it. What about you? Are you numbering your days? And so now my final question, why? Why should you live 
for today? Why live your life with God's kingdom as your aim and pursuit? Why live for today? When Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice in verse 15, he says, look carefully. That word is an accounting term. It's a word that accountants would use. And what Paul is saying here is take inventory. Take detailed inventory. Take exact, precise numerical detailed inventory of how you walk. And by walking, he's saying how you live, where you place your feet, where your steps in life daily lead you. Not as unwise, but as wise. And by wisdom, it is listening to, obeying, navigating, allowing for God, his voice, his word, his truth to be the thing that drives everything in your life, making the best use of the time, literally redeeming in the Greek, it's redeeming the time, namely to to redeem is to buy back, it's purchase the time that was lost. It's the, the before you came to Jesus, you lived and used your time this way. Now that you are in Christ, it's time to buy that back and put your life in concert with how time ought to be used for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's time to buy it back from idleness purposelessness. It's time to take the time that you have right now in your life and get out of the rooms where it don't happen. And then he says, why? At the end of verse 16, why do you live this way? Why do you redeem the time? Because the days are evil. Live in the dwelling place that is God for you in Jesus. Live in the reality that this is not your home and that your life is a vapor and a shadow. Why? Because the days are evil. So use what days that you have to push back the evil that is in you and around you. The days are evil, are they not? In the Western world, we live in a sex-saturated culture. Financial corruption is rampant at its highest levels. Another shooter kills. Spy balloons from foreign countries 
occupy our airspace. Murder of the innocents in the womb at heart-wrenching numbers. The very redefinition in our culture of morality. The heart loves what the heart loves is the mantra of the day. Feelings are king. Persecution of God's people around the world globally. Wars. Earthquake in Turkey. You know, the Bible says that even the earth groans for redemption. When the earth quakes, there's a groaning for the reality that brokenness is rampant in this world. And the very earth itself, the very rocks are yearning for a new earth. We live in an evil day. And here's what the devil wants to do for every single Christian under the sound of my voice. The last thing that he wants you to do is number your days. He wants to distract you with the Turkish delights and the cotton candy of the rooms where it don't happen. Because see, here's what the devil knows about every single one of us in Christ Jesus. You know the truth. We are the only, you got to feel the weight of that. We are the only redemptive force in the entire world. This is why Jesus says, let your light shine. Because if we don't let our light shine, there is no light. And so the devil wants to keep you stagnant, stuck, distracted, and pursuing Turkish delights. He wants you consumed with what you're waiting for. You're waiting for something. He wants your mind totally preoccupied, constantly striving for that thing that you're waiting for. Because then it can keep you from numbering your days. He wants you to look to make other things your dwelling place and not make God your dwelling place, Psalm 90, verse 1. He wants you to believe that you're invincible. He wants you to believe that you have a tomorrow. He wants you to believe that you're not a vapor. Because Satan knows that the days are evil. And because the days are evil, you know what he knows? That this world is on the road to destruction. Judgment is coming. And he's trying to take as many people to hell as he can with him. And if he can keep us distracted, chasing other rooms, then he gets more numbers. Are we living like eternity, church, is at stake? Are we declaring to those around us that eternity is at stake? Or are we simply going along, as James tells us, doing this and doing that? Spurgeon says it well. A Christian sluggard, is there such a being? A Christian man on halftime, 
a Christian man working not all for his Lord? How shall I speak of him? Time does not tarry. Death does not tarry. Hell does not tarry. Satan is not lazy. All the powers of darkness are busy. How is it that you and I can be sluggish if the master has put us in his vineyard? Surely we must be void of understanding if after being saved by the infinite love of God, we do not spend and be spent in his service. Well, if you want to know what it looks like to redeem the time, if you want to know what it looks like to number your days, to live with God as your dwelling place, And to live as though the reality is that your life is brief, I want to encourage you again, walk through Ephesians. Paul told us in Ephesians, redeem the time. So he must have told us in the book of Ephesians, what does it look like for us to redeem the time for the days are evil? You see, redeeming the time looks like walking in unity as the church. Chapter 4, verse 1. It's using your gifts. Some of you... You're not using your gifts for the sake of the body. And God may be calling you and speaking to you right now saying, you know what redeeming the time looks like for you? is to use the giftings that God has given you for the building up of this church called Living Way, Community Church, chapter 4, verse 12. See, to redeem the time is to walk in honesty. It's to put away the lying. It's to put away anger and bitterness. See, to redeem the time is to walk in forgiveness Some of you right now are sitting on profound measures of bitterness. Some of you are holding on to secrets, things that you need to tell people because you're keeping them from them and you know that they ought to know. Some of you are so frustrated and so you use corrupt talk because of the ways in which things aren't going your way. You're engaged in trashy entertainment. Some of you need to redeem the time by stop having sex with that significant other if you're not married. Maybe we've forgotten sex outside of sin, sex outside of marriage is sin. And redeeming the time is for us as Christians to retake the beauty of what sex was by God's design and show the world a sex ethic that is wonderful. We as Christians are called to redeem sex. It's to get rid of the porn. It's to walk as children of light, chapter 4, verse 25 through 5, 7. You see, to redeem the time, if, if that's what he's telling us in Ephesians, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. It's to make church central. Again, redeeming the time for some of you may be the fact that you've been sidestepping church, that you've made it an ancillary thing. I'll come when I can come. When God is telling us in Ephesians that we need to be singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together in congregation because that's how we experience greater measures of the Holy Spirit. Redeeming the time is making church central in your life because Jesus Christ died for the church. You know what the church is for Christ? His very body and his bride. There is not, there is, watch this, there is no relationship more important in my life than my wife. 
How much more than for Jesus Christ? How much more than it ought to be for us as his bride? You see, redeeming the time is giving thanks in everything. We've talked about this, and some of y'all are walking around grumbling because you're not in the room where you think it happens. And so you're complaining. But in Ephesians, redeeming the time tells us to give thanks in everything to the Father through the Son, Ephesians 5.20. You see, to redeem the time is Ephesians chapter 5 to pursue God's vision for marriage. It's, it's to walk in the kind of relationships with parent and child that is seen in Ephesians chapter 6. It's to deal with our work, our bosses, our labor, and actually honor the people that we have a hard time working for. And at the same time, those of us who are employers are designed to exhibit, exhibit grace and love, realizing that in Christ, whether employer or employee, we are all one in Christ Jesus and all the same. You see, to redeem the time in the book of Ephesians is to actually put on the full armor of God because we have an enemy. The devil is busy. He is after you behind. And if you don't put on that armor, he will whoop you up and down all day long. You see, redeeming the time is the very end of Ephesians chapter 6 where we open our mouths boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. As Greg Morse writes, now was the time to pray. Now was the time to fast. Now was the time to encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. Because guess what, church? The day is drawing near. Now was the time to reconcile with those that we have not forgiven. Some of us need to step into some reconciliation, amen? Some of us have been holding on to grudges and bitterness that now is a time to move away from those and step into forgiveness and love. Now is a time to confess that secret sin, that sin that you've been holding on to, that you know that person needs to know, that you need to confess to your spouse, you need to confess to a parent, you need to confess to a friend. It's time to start walking in honesty. Now is the time to let our light shine before a panicking world. Look around, the world is panicking. They have no moors. They have no rooting. And we have the truth of the light of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. Now was the time. Now is the time to proclaim the excellencies of our Christ. And I don't want us to hear this in a vacuum. I was going to share this next week, but I'm just going to say it now. Now is the time to proclaim the excellencies of our Christ. We're going to have missions month next month. We're going to be bringing some evangelism outreach opportunities to the church. Some short-term missions opportunities to the church. Easter is approaching. I want every single one of us to consider, God, what does it look like for me to redeem my time? God, do you want me to go on one of these short-term mission trips? God, these evangelism expressions and outreaches that are, that are coming before me, God, do you want me to redeem the time in this way? Easter's coming. Who's that friend 
that family member, that coworker that I've been hesitating for so long to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And if they die outside of Christ, they will be in hell for eternity. All because I just chose not to proclaim. Hell is real. It's really real. Eternity is real. It's really real. We will all be somewhere forever. Forever. And yet we're busy chasing the rooms where it don't happen. Maybe we can snatch some from the fire. Jude chapter 1 verse 23. We got to snatch some. Some. You see, this is the kind of life that pushes back the evil. This is a life that is redeeming the time. This is a life that knows that you're already in the room where it happens. And that all the love, security, belonging that you deeply long for, you already have in Jesus. This is a life that lives in the reality that life is a shadow, a vapor. The grass withers, the flowers fade, as Pastor James always says. But it is the word of the Lord that will remain forever. You see, this is a life that numbers its days. Pastor James, this past Tuesday, I asked him how his father was doing. He took his phone out and he played a video for me. It was his dad. He was on his back in a bed. And there was a woman sitting next to him. And all I could hear was prayer. when I first saw the video my assumption was the person sitting next to the bed is praying for the person in the bed that's the characteristic picture is it not but before I could even ask Pastor James said to me My dad is praying for the person that's sitting in the chair. He was on his back. Six days from death, approximately. 
and he was praying for someone else. If that's not a man who has numbered his days and redeemed the time, I don't know what is. This is who he was to his last breath. Two realities that will drive you to live your days for what matters to God. Remember, you already have your dwelling place in Jesus. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, I can guarantee you this. That room where you think it happens, where you think that you can gain belonging, security, acceptance, or whatever you're looking for in that room, it's fool's gold. Come to Jesus today. And you will find the abundant life that only he can give. I guarantee that. And not only is he your dwelling place, but if you're going to live like life matters, then remember your life is just like grass. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And why ought we to live this way? Because the days are evil. The world is closer to destruction today than it was when you woke up. And there will be a day soon where we will stand before the maker of the entire universe and give an account. And so I simply leave you with this, and I ask you to consider it. Where is God, the Holy Spirit, right now calling you to redeem the time? Ask him. Tell him, God, where do you need me to redeem the time and number my days? Let's pray. God, we come. This is a tall task, far beyond our own strength. And so, God, will you give us power and grace to redeem the time? I mean that. Because, God, if everyone under the sound of my voice is like me, I am fickle. I distract so easily. So, God, will you help our unbelief? And will you give us that heart of wisdom? In Jesus' name, amen.